0: when my kids were too little to understand all of the mechanics of where babies come from, but old enough to ask the question, like two years old, we explained to them that God planted a seed in mommy's tummy. I actually used the word womb, and in general, much more precise language with my second son, Joshua when he was two, and I was pregnant with Joe, my third, I would explain that the baby was in a water bag inside mommy's womb, because who wouldn't say that to a (laughs) two-year-old? I was confident in my approach until I heard him repeat what he understood me to be saying to his grandma, who said... So, Joshi, your mommy had her baby. And Joshi said, yes, he rolled off the waterbed into the room. (laughs) I learned. All that to say, I would explain that there was a baby somewhere in mommy's body, not a lot of technical details, no nuance about relationships, but God planted a seed, and that was enough. Luke's gospel recounting of where baby Jesus comes from is not that much more detailed in terms of how the baby got there, though we do get a more fleshed-out story. And my thesis this morning is that our telling the kids that God planted a seed is not that far off, I want to argue that Luke's account of Jesus' conception and birth give us a pattern of how to live a full life. Simply put, God is always planting seeds, and you and I are always invited to say yes. This morning, we're gonna read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter one. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One will be born. to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, Luke's recounting isn't that much more detailed. In terms of the mechanics of how that all happened, we get this. Then the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born called the Son of God. Truthfully, I think our explanation was easier. We get a bit of detail, something coming from outside Mary, an angel announcing itself, making known its purpose, And Mary, though confused and afraid, says, yes. And of course, there is an imagination or a vision for who this child will become, some pretty lofty promises. Advent is a season of longing, of waiting, like Esme said, we long and wait for the seed to come to fruition. As Christians, we rehearse our story. A child of King David, prophesied centuries earlier, born to God's people who will initiate the healing that this world so desperately needs. We rehearse the story of a young woman carrying the seed of promise, Each day of Advent brings us closer to that Christmas miracle. And just as our faith is one that acknowledges the rhythms of life and death and life again, we ride the waves of barrenness and life. Throughout our biblical history, God opens the womb of barren women, a theme that suggests the struggles that we have with fecundity and the divine role in our fruitfulness. Mary, of course, was not struggling to conceive. She's a young virgin. But it is ruach, spirit, that enjoins with her humanity to plant the seed which is Jesus. Shortly before COVID hit in 2020, I first entertained the idea of my reordination. I felt pregnant with a tiny, unformed seed. There was no imagination for our series on dismantling patriarchy and the prophetic power that it would hold for so many of us. I didn't anticipate all that God would do in my own heart. It was just a seed with no guarantee that it would come to fruition. And then COVID hit, and that seed was about as dormant as it could be maybe even dead. When we first started meeting in person again, my reordination was the equivalent of self-actualization in Maslow's hierarchy, that thing way at the top, and we were pretty much just trying to stay alive. But in the end, that seed was coming to fruition, and as it was, it felt like God was birthing something new in me and birthing something new in our community. And when the angel came to us, we had a resounding yes. So my question this morning is this. How does Luke's account of Jesus' conception serve us as we respond to the seeds that God is planting in our lives right now. I have three thoughts about this. Number one, Luke situates Jesus' conception in a context that animates the story and helps us to make meaning. We are told that Mary's older cousin Elizabeth is unable to conceive, but miraculously, the power of God has gone out to her and Zechariah, and now she's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. In other words, Luke wants us to understand something new is happening, something special is happening, something out of the ordinary is happening, and it has been set in place before Gabriel comes to Mary. The winds are blowing and God is moving. Luke tells us details about Mary, that Mary is a virgin. We are not to be confused about the divinity of this child, that she is betrothed to a man in the line of David, and so on an entire stage is set for us. As God plants seeds, or we might say, as we feel invitations to create or to explore or learn or to in some way become, our story invites us to understand the context our seed sits in. Elizabeth Gilbert is an author that some of you are probably familiar with. She tells this story about a poet named Ruth Stone. This is what Elizabeth says. As Stone was growing up in rural Virginia, she would be out working in the fields, and she would feel or hear a poem coming at her from over the landscape. It was like a thunderous train of air, and it would come barreling down at her, and when she felt it coming, because it would shake the earth under her feet, she knew she had only one thing to do at that point. That was to, in her words, run like hell to the house as she could be, would be chased by the poem. The whole deal was that she had to get to a piece of paper fast enough so that when it thundered through her, she could collect it and grab it on the page. Other times, she wouldn't be fast enough, so she would be running and running, and she wouldn't get to the house, and the poem would barrel through her, and she would miss it, and it would continue on across the landscape looking for another poet. I love this story a lot. I love it because I have those moments of something that sits just at the edge of my imagination that's calling to me. And I know if I can just grab it, it will be worth it. But the story is meaningful because I know that Ruth Stone is a renowned poet, because she's written 13 books, because she's won awards. I will likely not have a poem come barreling at me, because I'm not a poet. But I do sometimes feel pregnant with ideas and visions for this community, or I sometimes feel pregnant with a sermon that feels almost downloaded and seems to write itself as we reflect on the invitations that we sense from God or the seeds being planted, we seek to understand their context and to make meaning as we enjoin with God to make them happen. Number two, Mary is not surprisingly troubled at Gabriel's words. Humans have puzzled over Mary's response for centuries, not that she's troubled, but the grace by which she receives God's words, that despite her anxieties, Mary trusted enough in what was happening to say yes. Even something as simple as my reordination, I anguished over for a long time. Is this God? Like, does it even make sense? Am I too old? Mary invites us to consider what is stirring inside us, to listen to that still, small voice, that seed, that invitation, to puzzle over it, to consider it, to let it sit, to not walk away or send it away until we have really let it speak to us. Allie and David take this really seriously, this invitation, and they have for years, and it's very inspiring to me. Allie Borger-German is David's wife. Um, many of you know Allie. She's a teacher. I have to say, we have amazing teachers at Sanctuary. That in itself would be enough. <laughs> But at some point years ago, Allie knew she was pregnant with something else. She knew that there was some inner stirring to write. And so she did. She wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. She got up hours before school. I mean, I can't even imagine what time hours before you have to get ready for school is because I am, that's when my REM is just happening. She always has a project before her that she feels pregnant with, and if you talk to her, she'll tell you, it would be amazing to write a bestseller. I really want Allie to write a bestseller, because she's amazing. But the bigger thing, she says, is to always be creating. She's responding to something that is stirring and compelling inside her. She surrounds herself with writer friends, She's pursued training to hone her skill, and she makes the time to write. She takes breaks from time to time, but this has been Ali's pattern for years. And David is the same. I think they made a decision to do this at some time in their marriage, but he always has some creative thing that he's into. Lately, he makes these TikTok videos. I have zero social media, so the only thing I ever see are David's TikTok videos. And he says that some of them do better than others, um, and that one was amazing, because he got like a million, literally, hits. But he likes to be creative, and so he schedules his life to be able to say yes to whatever that current thing is. We all have something, some things stirring inside us. something that is compelling us, something that we want to explore or learn about or create a garden to tend. For some of us, they're more straightforwardly artistic. But of course, it could be anything. Tom goes to a gaming group, a gaming small group, and Bill Iverson, who leads it, who produces it, has this fully formed gaming room in his basement that Tom is in awe of. He comes home every time and he describes it to me. Bill has three or four groups who come regularly once a month. But for Tom... It's magical. He says it's this activity where people come together to play games, hang out, get to know each other. And Tom describes it as this remarkable organization of social activity and relating that Bill has produced. We have other friends who come to life doing service projects. That is the moment they feel God's life surging through them. And I would like to argue that when Creator God put life in Mary, it isn't only that we get Jesus, which I want to register as a big deal in and of itself, <laughs> arguably the biggest deal of life, but I think we also get a way to understand the invitations and the stirrings that are part of life, what it is that Allie and David and Bill and others are responding to. And Mary offers us a way to be faithful. And finally, number three, the angel gave Mary a vision to hold on to. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he is and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end." Now the truth is, it will take Mary a lifetime to begin to understand all that those words meant. And 2,000 years later, and we are still allowing them to take root in our heart and inform our faith. When God gave Moses a vision of liberating God's people, Moses was about as freaked out as Mary and said, uh, how do I know this is God, a voice coming from a fire? How do I trust this? And God's answer to Moses is both lovely and awful. Essentially, God says, well, Moses, when you go to Egypt and do all the stuff I've given you to do and set free this nation and complete your mission successfully, and given that you're still alive, you make that trek back over here, climb this mountain and worship me, you'll know it was me. Thank you. <laughs> Moses has no guarantee about anything. He's pretty confident that he has encountered God and that God has called him for whatever reason to take part in the liberation of God's people. The visions that most of us get, they're not guarantees of anything. They're something to consider to ponder, and maybe to say yes to. The Ruth Stones who have written 13 books, they are the exceptions. When you and I know we're successful because we've written that bestseller or because our photographs are in National Geographic, success will be elusive at best. We are mimetic Beings. That means it is in our nature to want what others have or to want to become them. If I see a woman who preaches fire and has an amazing ministry and is bold and smart, I want to be her. Suddenly, what I am, who I am, is not enough. My vision and my yeses are too small. I feel okay about myself until I see how much better she is. And then I'm sunk. The reason we say yes to dreams, to visions, to stirrings, to invitations, is because we can. It's because you and I are made in the image of Creator God. It's because when Mary said yes to the life of Jesus, she makes a way for us to carry that seed within us. Mary didn't say yes to fame and glory. She said yes to scandal, She said yes to heartache, yes to excruciating loss. But she also said yes to life, yes to eternity, yes to risk, yes to adventure. So whatever that thing is in you that needs to be born, whatever that current Stirring, oh my gosh, I said, whatever that thing is that needs to be born, and I looked at my daughter-in-law, who's about to give birth like any minute. (laughs) (laughs) Our invitation is to consider it, and if we think this is divine, this is God's invitation to me, this is life-giving, this is resonant with who I am, then we can say, Yes. So we're going to take a moment and do a little, like, prayer experience for those who want, and we're just going to take a moment. We're going to identify what might be stirring in us and then have a chance to say yes to it. So if you would like, get comfortable however you pray. Close your eyes if you want. Take a few deep breaths. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to be with us, to stir our hearts. So God, show us the seed or the seeds that we are pregnant with right now. Show us what it is that you have placed in us in this season. And we'll just take a few seconds with that. And take a moment to consider the context. Why is it meaningful for you? Why does this particular thing matter? How is it situated in your life? And God. Help us to have a vision for what it could look like for us to be faithful to this dream or to this seed. Flesh out that invitation. And finally, for the bold among us, see if you can't imagine an angel or Jesus... Or however you are perceiving the divine this morning, telling you that this seed, this vision, this dream is a gift from God and a blessing for you. And if you like, and if you haven't already, just take a moment to say your yes to God. Amen.